morning, church. When I got to the church building early this morning, Steve White was driving his little Honda CRV doing laps around the parking lot at like 100 miles an hour. He's hanging out the window, waving a flag. I had no idea what was going on. And then I remembered, it's race day. So you Hoosiers are crazy. <laughs> uh, my name is Luke Proctor. I'm associate minister here at PCC. If you're new with us, we're really glad that you join us today and we'd like to meet you. Um, and, and one thing we gotta know this morning, I'm a child of the 90s, which was a great decade. Can I get an amen? That was lame. What do y'all got against the 90s? Come on, let's try that again. Can I get an amen? <laughs> All right, okay, I mean, you got the Backstreet Boys, dial-up internet, Space Jam, it's like the second greatest movie of all time, Y2K Preppers, you guys remember that stuff? The 90s was just a great time to be alive. And as a child of the 90s, I knew what a tough guy looked like. I mean, Chuck Norris, Sylvester Stallone, Arnold Schwarzenegger, these guys had hulking muscles and steel jaws, eyes that could stare right through you. These dudes were fighters. And as a kid, if you asked me to name the five most fearsome men that I could think of, I would not have mentioned Jesus. Because I grew up watching Mark McGuire bash home runs and Mike Tyson bite people's ears off, okay? But Jesus, he wasn't Mark McGuire, he wasn't Mike Tyson, he's more like Mr. Rogers. Nice guy, but not much help in a fight, you know what I mean? But I think I was wrong. Because I think my view of God was just a little bit too nice. Because actually the Bible talks over and over and over again about how our God is a warrior. Over 250 times this one name appears for God in the Old Testament. It's the name Yahweh Sabaoth. means the Lord of hosts, the God of the heavenly armies. Our God is a warrior. And we like to talk about God's love and God's mercy and God's truth, and those are great and wonderful things, but we don't often talk about God as a warrior. So today we're calling this sermon God's Fight, because we're going to see our great warrior king today go to battle. You're going to want to have the scripture open in front of you today, so if you've got a Bible, uh, go to Exodus chapter 14. If you don't have a Bible, no problem. You can just go to the app store right now. If you download the YouVersion app for free, you'll be all set. We'll be in Exodus chapter 14 today. And so far in our series through the book of Exodus, we've seen God call this guy named Moses to go back to Egypt. And so Moses goes to Egypt, he confronts Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and he says, hey, let the Israelite slaves, let God's people go. And Pharaoh says, ah, no. And so God sends these 10 ferocious plagues on Egypt and finally Pharaoh relents, he lets the Israelite slaves go. And now here we are in Exodus chapters 13 and 14 and we've got these two million former slaves wandering around in the desert. That's where we are. Let's pick the story up here towards the end of chapter 13, verses 17 and 18. It says, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter, for God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. So this journey for the Israelites from Egypt to the Promised Land, it could have been a short trip, 150 miles, about two weeks journey, no big deal. But God doesn't take them the short route because they would have to fight that way and he knows they're not ready to fight. So instead, God takes them the long route through the desert. And instead of taking two weeks, the trip ends up taking 40 years. Seems crazy, but God knows what he's doing. Chapter 13, verse 21 says, by day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or by night. 
So God is leading his people here with this massive pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night, and we've seen already throughout the book of Exodus that smoke and fire are symbols of God's presence. God is in this pillar. Meanwhile, as God is leading his people through the desert, Pharaoh's back in Egypt, kind of moping around in the palace, you know, just sitting there. All of a sudden, he's getting these work reports coming in about these projects that have stopped. There's labor stoppages. The economy of Egypt is in shambles. And Pharaoh's thinking, what have we done? We let our free labor go. And then one of his little scouts comes into the throne room and he says, your majesty, your majesty, you're never gonna believe this, but I think the Israelites are lost. They just missed the main road through the desert. They're kind of wandering around in circles and get this, now they just camped with their backs to the sea. It's the perfect trap. And Pharaoh says, finally, their God has abandoned them. Saddle up, boys. We're gonna go get our slaves back. And so they do. Meanwhile, the Israelites in their camp feel the ground begin to rumble and they hear the pounding of thousands and thousands of hooves as hundreds and hundreds of Egyptian chariots kick up dust on the horizon, thundering down towards them. They've got the greatest army on earth in front of them coming after them and the sea is behind them. It looks like they're toast, they're chopped liver, they're done. Or so they thought. Chapter 14, verses 10 through 12 says, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? Now this is ridiculous, of course, because Egypt was a country full of graves, the most famous graves in the world. The pyramids are in Egypt. There's plenty of graves. But they say, they say, well, what have you done by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Now, the ironic thing is that we actually have no record of the Israelites saying that to Moses back in Egypt. But you know how when our present circumstances are really difficult, we tend to romanticize the past? That's what they're doing. But Moses, he has something to say to him. He has no idea what God will do, but Moses knows that God will do something. Chapter 14, verses 13 and 14 this might be the most two most important verses of the day. It says, Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Moses says, hey, quiet down, stop your whining and watch this. God's about to do something awesome. Wow, that's That's faith. Pretty remarkable because keep in mind, Moses still has no idea what God's gonna do. Verses 15 through 22 says, then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. And if I'm Moses, I'm thinking, uh, move where? <laughs> God says, raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who'd been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other side, so that neither went near the other all night long. 
Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. So this pillar of cloud moves between the Egyptians and the Israelites so the Egyptians can't attack. And then Moses stretches out his hand over the water and this little sea breeze that has been blowing all of a sudden turns into a ferocious gale force wind that beats a path right through the middle of the sea. And so with the cloud of God's glory behind them and a path in front of them, the Israelites walk through the water on dry ground. Amazing. Then the cloud moves and the Egyptians see what's happened. Verses 23 through 31 says, the Egyptians pursued them and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He jammed the wheels of their chariots so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. See, they learned what we need to learn. God's a warrior. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and at daybreak, the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and the horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day, the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. We serve a warrior God who is always fighting on behalf of his people. He's bringing us out of slavery and into freedom constantly. In uh, Washington, D.C., there's the Museum of the Bible. And in the Museum of the Bible, there's many, many volumes of scripture on display of various kinds. But one of the Bibles in that museum stands out from all the rest. It's called the Slave Bible. And it was a so-called version of the Bible edited by people in favor of slavery to give to slaves in the British West Indies. It was meant to convert the slaves without giving them any quote-unquote dangerous ideas. So they edited out any part of the Bible that might encourage the slaves to fight for their independence. They left out any part of the Bible that talked about freedom or liberation because they wanted their slaves to be Christians but to still be slaves. And so in the slave Bible, you can read where the apostle Paul writes, servants, be obedient to your masters. But they left out the part where the apostle Paul writes, there is neither slave nor free for you are all one in Christ Jesus. The slave Bible leaves out the Psalms, which are full of prayers for deliverance. The slave Bible leaves out the book of Revelation, which talks about how God will ultimately deal with injustice and oppression. The slave Bible leaves out this story, the story of God bringing the Israelite slaves out of Egypt and into freedom. In fact, the slave Bible is a very small Bible. It leaves out 90% of the Old Testament and 50% of the New Testament. Of the 1,189 chapters in the Bible, 
The slave Bible contains only 232. Church, this whole book is a story of freedom. Our God is a God who fights for our deliverance, and you can trust that. So in light of that, in light of that truth, how do we read this text? How do we interpret and apply this story? Well, let's talk for a minute about what this text is and what this text is not. Because it would be easy to read this story and to say, yeah, whatever fight you're fighting right now, God's gonna part the waters in front of you. It'd be easy to read this text and think, yeah, so your angry boss is your Pharaoh and your bad hair day is your Egypt, but the Chick-fil-A app just gave you a free chicken sandwich, so thank the Lord for parting those waters, you know what I mean? (laughs) But I don't think that's the best interpretation of this text. Because this story is less about God helping us overcome the annoyances of everyday life, and it's more about God delivering us from our ultimate bondage to sin and death. This story is not, God will part the waters in front of you. This story is, in Jesus, God has already parted the waters in front of you. Now that might be a little bit confusing, so let's take a step back for a second, let's zoom out. Why do we need the Old Testament? How do we read the Old Testament? You might know that the Bible is divided into two parts. The first part is the Old Testament. It's huge, 39 books, 77% of the Bible is the Old Testament. And it's the story of God creating the world and then he kind of creates this people, these Hebrews, these Jews, these Israelites, the nation of Israel, and he uses this people group to bring about the coming of his son. But Jesus doesn't actually come on the scene until the New Testament. And in the New Testament is the story of Jesus' life and the birth of the church. But that's a relatively small portion of scripture. So what do we do with this giant chunk before Jesus shows up? Do we even need it? And let's be honest for a minute. It's, It's really hard to interpret sometimes. The Old Testament, I mean, the culture is so different. It's full of poetry and prophecy and difficult texts. It's not exactly a cakewalk to understand the Old Testament. So do we even need it? Well, God thought it was important enough to include in our Bible, so the answer is yes. But how do we interpret it? What's it for? Well, the Old Testament, one of the most important things it does for us is it leads us to Jesus. It is designed to prepare our hearts for Jesus. And it does that in a lot of different ways. But one of the most important ways that the Old Testament leads us to Jesus is through something called typology. Say that word, say typology. Typology. Good job, okay. I know school's out, but we're gonna do a little vocabulary today, so bear with me. It's about to get heavy, but you can handle it, okay? Typology means that something or someone in the Old Testament foreshadows something or someone in the New Testament. That something in the Old Testament is a shadow of a greater thing to come in the New Testament. And so, the Old Testament here is full of types, in the sense of typology, types of Jesus, types for Jesus. And in our story today, the parting of the Red Sea, Moses is a type for Jesus. Moses is just a shadow of a greater leader to come, Jesus, who will lead all people out of slavery and into freedom, okay? So now that we look back on these Old Testament stories through the lens of Jesus, we can kind of walk back through them and see how they parallel our Christian experience. We look at it from this side of the cross. And that's kind of what I want to do today, and I'm just going to give you a sneak peek. Here's what we're going to find. One sentence. Here's my sermon in a nutshell. Ready? We are saved by grace through faith because of a mediator. We are saved by 
through because of a I'm pretty sure half of you are asleep. Let's try it again. Okay. We are saved by through because of a Okay, good job. Let's take that part by part. Let's just dissect that for the rest of our time together today. First, we are saved. I love verse 13 in this text, especially in the English Standard Version. It says, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. And the key word there is that word salvation. We are saved. And the Hebrew word there for salvation or deliverance is the word Yeshua. Do you recognize that? Yeshua is a very common Hebrew word that became a common Hebrew name, which we pronounce Jesus. Fear not, stand firm, and see Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate way that God has brought about our salvation, our deliverance, and he did it by dying on the cross. And we talk about this salvation. We talk about what Jesus did on the cross in terms of Jesus dying to forgive our sins and Jesus dying to absorb the wrath of God and Jesus dying to show us what true love looks like. And that's true. Jesus did do all of those things on the cross. But there's also another way to talk about what Jesus did on the cross. It's called Christus Victor. And that's a Latin phrase. I have no idea why we still use Latin. It's a dead language. But all it means is Christ the winner. So in other words, what Jesus did on the cross was he defeated our ultimate enemies. He won the battle. He defeated sin, death, Satan, hell. And so Jesus, by defeating our enemies, has won the battle and we are saved. The Bible often talks about salvation in terms of Jesus winning a battle. Colossians 2.15 says, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So in the cross, Jesus wins the battle. Hebrews chapter two, verses 14 and 15 says, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death, that's us. So when Jesus died on the cross, he won the battle. And now death has no sting, hell has no victory, sin is no match for him. Jesus wins the battle, we are free, we are saved. That's the first part. Here's the second part. We are saved by grace. When you look real close at this story of God parting the Red Sea, it's just grace, grace, grace all over the place. We see at the very beginning, God leads the people away from the path where they would have to fight for themselves and to the place where he would fight on their behalf. We saw this in verse 14. Moses says, the Lord will fight for you you need only to be still. And that's our story. I can't fight and win this battle on my own. I can't do a doggone thing to deliver myself and neither can you. You can't win the victory. You can't earn your freedom. But the good news is Jesus fought for you. He already won the victory. He already won the freedom and he's offering it to you as a gift. It's grace, 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 grace. We are saved by grace through faith. We are saved by grace through faith. Hebrews chapter 11 tells us that the Israelites walked through the Red Sea by faith. It says, by faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. Now, I bet some of those Israelites, as they're walking through that path in the sea on dry ground, I bet they're feeling pretty good. I bet they're saying, oh yeah, here we go. Take a look at this, Pharaoh. Eat your heart out, buddy. God's on our side. And I bet others of the Israelites as they're walking through, I bet they were terrified. I bet they're thinking, oh my goodness, this is a terrible idea. I should not have quit my swimming lessons. I'm pretty sure we are all going to die. 
Some of them, I'm sure, had great faith. Some of them probably didn't have much. And the fact of the matter is, some of you today in this room have a great big strong faith. And others of you in this room have barely any faith at all. Just maybe a glimmer of hope, a spark of belief. But the fact of the matter is, the Israelites were not saved by how big their faith was. They were saved by who their faith was in, God. The Egyptians had plenty of faith too. They had lots of faith. It was just that their faith was all in the wrong places. But the Israelites put their faith, whether big or small, in God, and they had just enough faith to obey him, to take a step, to go down into the water. And that's the faith that saves you, faith enough to trust God and obey him. That's how we're saved too. We are saved by believing, by faith, by trusting God enough to take a step, to go down into the waters of baptism. And that's the faith that saves us. We are saved by grace, through faith, because of a mediator. We are saved by grace, through faith, because of a mediator. You know, it would be tempting for us to read this story and think, well, the Egyptians drowned because they deserved it. The Israelites were the good guys. The Egyptians were the bad guys. So, of course, the Israelites were saved. But that's the furthest thing from the truth. I mean, just keep reading your Bible. We're going to find out over and over and over again that more often than not, the Israelites were not good people. They were two-timing, murderous, whining, weak-kneed losers most of the time, if we're just being honest. And the fact of the matter is, everybody in this story, Israelite or Egyptian, and everybody in this room deserves to die. We are not good people. We do not deserve to be saved. So the question is, why did the Egyptians die and the Israelites live? Well, one of the answers to that question is that the Israelites had a mediator, Moses. We, you remember when the Egyptians are all there on the horizon, thundering down towards the Israelites. The Israelites are terrified. They start whining. They start crying out to God. They're so scared. And God says to Moses, he says, why are you crying out to me? Which really is kind of a silly question for God to ask because the text doesn't say that Moses was crying out to him. It says the people were, not that Moses was. So why is Moses getting rebuked for? Why is God getting on to Moses? It's because Moses was the representative of the people. He was their mediator. And then later in verse 21, it says that Moses stretches out his hand over the water and the Lord parted the sea. So what we see here is that Moses is kind of like this go-between. He's this middleman. He's this mediator between the people and God. And he is so identified with the people that when they are guilty, he is guilty. And he is so acquainted with God that when he acts, God acts. He's a mediator. And yet we have an even better mediator. Because you remember typology, right? Moses is just a type. He's just a shadow of a greater mediator to come. First Timothy chapter two says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. Jesus is a better mediator than Moses because he's not just a man who happens to be close to God. He is fully God and fully man. He is one with us and one with God at the same time. He's a better mediator. Later on in the story, God gets really fed up with the Israelites and Moses has to step up and he says, hey, God, look, spare them, take me instead. Spare their lives, take my life, God. And God doesn't do it. But when our mediator... Jesus steps up and offers his life. God lets Jesus die so that we could live. He's a better mediator. We are saved by 
you're killing me, Smalls. Come on. <laughs> we are saved by, Grace. through, Grace. because of a, Here. don't you see, church, this is our story. We were slaves to sin. We were condemned to death in a far off land under a, a leader who was way worse than Pharaoh, but we were spared because a lamb was killed. And our mediator left his throne and God called him to come from a far off land to become one of us. And he led us out of slavery and into freedom. And the enemy stepped right into God's trap and we crossed through the waters. That's how we escaped the enemy, by crossing through the waters, by faith, through baptism. And we are on our way to the promised land. And we're not there yet, but we're gonna be someday. And we're following God's presence along the way. And sometimes he leads us in ways that look a little bit crazy, but we're following him anyway. And we're trusting him because he has won the fight and he set us free. You can see it in Jesus' words. You can see echoes of this story in John chapter five. Jesus says, very truly I tell you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed from death to life. We are saved by grace through faith because of a mediator. See church, this, is, this story is not just a pep talk to tell us that God will win whatever battle you're fighting right now, although he will. This is a greater reminder that God has already won the battle of all of history, so you have nothing to fear because sin and death and hell and Satan himself have been defeated. And in comparison to that, everything else is just pretty much small potatoes. We are not waiting on God to part the waters. The waters are already parted in front of us. And for those of us who follow Jesus, we have already passed through the waters. We're living in a new land under a new ruler and the enemy can't get to us anymore. In 1944, at the height of World War II, Japanese Lieutenant Hiru Onoda was stationed on a Philippine island with orders to live off the land and keep fighting until his commanding officer returned for him. Well, those, those orders never came. Eventually, the war ended, but Lieutenant Onoda didn't know it. So he kept fighting on his own, hiding in the jungle for 29 years. Finally, in 1975, Hiru Onoda's commanding officer came and ordered him to surrender. And Lieutenant Onoda came out of hiding in that jungle to find a world that was much different than the one he'd lived in before. Because the war was over. He didn't have to fight anymore. The old emperor had been defeated and lost his power. So that's what I'm here to tell you today. The enemy's been defeated. And we're free. We've crossed over. We're living in a new land. So you have nothing to fear. You have been delivered from slavery to sin. You have been rescued from the penalty of death. And when you live in the light of that salvation, when you live in the daily knowledge that Jesus won the victory for you on the cross, any other mountain you're facing right now is really just a molehill. He's got it. And for those of you who have not yet crossed over, you can still walk through. The waters are still parted. You can be saved by grace through faith because of Jesus. So have enough faith to follow him. Come be baptized. Because the waters won't stay parted forever. Someday they will come crashing down and none of us knows when. But when they do, those of us who follow Jesus will be safe because we have been saved by grace. Through, faith. because of a fear. So be still and believe because God has won the fight. Let's pray. Oh, great God, you have saved us, and we owe you everything. You saved us by grace. It's a free gift. We couldn't have earned it. 
And so we're thankful for your grace that is new every single day. We need it more today than ever before. And you saved us by faith. You tell us all we gotta do is believe and trust you and follow you. And so that's what we're here doing. And you've saved us through this mediator, your son, who died on our behalf. He was our go-between. He's our representative. And even now, as we approach you in prayer, we know that Jesus is before your throne, interceding for us on our behalf. Thank you. Thank you for this mediator. And in this story, after you defeated the enemy, after you rescued your people, when they saw the dead bodies of the Egyptians wash up on the shore, they sang They worshiped, they praised you, they hailed you as their great warrior king, that you have won the fight. And that's what we're here to do today. We love you, and we are grateful that we get to walk out of here in freedom and in victory through the blood of Jesus. It's in his name we pray, amen.